Welcome back, friends, to Parenting with Emotional Intelligence and Love. This is Sean Edwards again. In our last episode, uh, we spoke about parenting with emotional intelligence and love uh, as a friendlier way of uh, titling our work as parents um, in the realm of positive discipline. So let me just recap a little bit about what we talked about um, in our last, our first episode. This is episode number two in this series. Uh, so we talked about what uh, what we invite from our children, right? So we um, in- learned that we have certain ways of interacting with people and responding to people and actually being reactive, especially when we're stressed out, that it actually invites certain behaviors from uh, people. So one of the things that I've always taught my children, and I'm I'm sure you've heard this somewhere in your your life as well, is that we really can't um, control other people. Right? We can't uh, force other people to change. We can't force people to behave the way we want to. We want them to. However, we can always look at how we're reacting and responding and how we're interacting with people, and we can shift that. We can only be responsible for ourselves, and we can only take action uh, to shift ourselves. We can't force uh, movement and shifts in other people as much as we, we might want to hope for them. So uh, we talked a lot about the fact that, yes, we do invite behaviors from people. So you may be a squiggle. You may be a visionary person who has lots of ideas but doesn't necessarily follow through with those ideas, and that creates uh, a, a lack of trust and a lack of safety uh, in people around you because they don't they know you have these great ideas and they don't uh, trust that you're going to follow through with them. You may be a circle person, so you're a great caretaker for everybody else, but maybe you get... Um, stepped on and you get um, taken advantage of because you don't set good boundaries for yourself. You may be a square where you're very analytical and you're very uh, practical in your orientation and uh, you don't necessarily invite uh, play play in your life and uh, you're very um, more likely to be antisocial. Um, so this may may you know, make uh, or help other people, uh, have other people around you feel maybe that they're not valued and they're not loved as much as maybe you even love them um, and want to be around them or want them to feel loved. Um, And then you might be a triangle, okay? So your triangles are great because they're good leaders. Um, They have some of that squiggle in them where they have their visionaries and they're good idea people, yet they, they are able to bring people on board to help them execute plans and, to, and they're good delegators, which makes them great leaders. However, sometimes they move into superiority and, and cause other people to feel intimidated and to, to shut down. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, just think about which one of those shapes you like the best. And that's probably the one that you're going to identify with. All right. We also talked um, about challenges um, that we have with our children. And more importantly, we talked about what, what do we want to see in our children as they grow up and as they become young adults and uh, what kind of characteristics and skills do we want them to have? Yes, we want them to be responsible. We want them to be self-directed. We want them, um, we want them to be resilient, compassionate, em- empathic, to be solution-oriented problem solvers. And most parents, um, I would say the majority of parents want to be good parents, you know, with the rare exception, I think that that's always a goal. We want to be great parents. Sometimes we just don't have the tools. So everybody's doing the best they can. Everybody's trying hard. So these, these podcast episodes are just to give you a little bit of 
support in this very, very important work. Yes, we all want these great characteristics and skills for our children, right? Because that's what we know is going to help them be successful in life as they move um, into the world as an adult. However, oftentimes when we deal with the challenges, such as them shutting down or engaging in power struggles and arguing or fighting with their siblings or being um, argumentative or being super hyperactive and, and you know, really difficult to calm down, we tend to be reactive because we're all busy. We also have, all, you know, really busy lives. And so we might yell, we might bribe, we might take things away, we might put, put children in time out. And what we talked about was, oh, gosh, those react, reactive measures really don't help children uh, to become responsible, self-directed, self-managing, resilient. It just kind of stops the behavior in the tracks for a short term. So we're looking for long-term solutions, which we also talked about in our last episode. All right. So thinking about all of that, let's, let's, um, let's look, let's kind of reframe these characteristics and skills that we're talking about um, in a terminology that I'll use um, or a model that I'll reference actually in this episode and in future episodes. It's called um, the Significant Seven. Uh, I talked a little bit in my last episode about Jane Nelson and the work that she did to create the methodology and the philosophy and the implementation of positive discipline and all the books she wrote and what a wonderful um, person she was to engage in all this research in hopes of being an excellent mom or as as great of a mom as she could be and how she really um, based a lot of her work on the work of Alfred Adler and Rudolf Dreikers. Okay, so... um, individual psychologists and how great Alfred Adler was because he kind of had a big major shift from what Freud um, was was preaching to us was that oh gosh when we get to adulthood we're broken because of everything we've experienced as adults and that's not completely untrue Um, however Alfred Adler's perspective was not that we were sick because of this and needed help and needed treatment but yet we we could be detectives to identify where our limiting beliefs were about ourselves. Um, And we, uh, you know, in doing so, we can be looking at our birth order. We can be looking at our inferiority complexes, um, thinking about our, our birth order and then our first implicit memory. What is our first memory of our, of our childhood? It really tells you a lot about a person. Um, And then he, you know, he also taught us that everyone, no matter what's going on with their behavior or how they're interacting in the world, wants belonging and significance and so then we talked about connection before correction um, kindness and firmness at the same time and that that, that this work of understanding the purpose behind behavior is effective long term it teaches valuable uh, social and life skills and helps people feel really capable about who they are all right so now this significant seven model if we're thinking about Oh, these characteristic skills that we want for our children. I want you to think about it, start thinking about it in this episode and the next episodes in terms of the significant seven. So Jane Nelson also did some work with Stephen Glenn, who is the author of Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World. It's an excellent book and it talks about, um, you know, these seven, these seven steps to helping children become um, self-reliant and positive and joyfully engaged in the world. And so the significant seven has to do with three perceptions and four skills. 
The three perceptions that people, um, that we want to foster in children, that we want to continually foster in ourselves so that we can model it because children do what we do, not what we say, and also help foster in other people. The three perceptions are capability, value, and power. Everybody wants to feel capable. Everybody wants to feel valuable. Everybody wants to feel powerful in some area of their life, right? And really for children, that means choice. They want to be able to have some choice and they want to be able to have um, some voice, just like we do as adults when in the workplace. So those are the perceptions that we are always trying to foster um, as our children develop and grow. And the skills are skills of interpersonal skills, right? How they communicate with others and can they get their point across and can they read kind of the needs of, of, of a group of people as they're growing older to be able to communicate effectively with the needs of that group? Um, and then intrapersonal, do they know how they're being received by others? Do, or do they have self-awareness? Do they recognize when they're upsetting people? Do they recognize when they're being inappropriate, for example? Um, And then system skills, right? Uh, Skills of executive functioning. That's really important because we could be the most brilliant people in the room, yet if we can't uh, meet a deadline or finish a presentation, you know, some of those squiggle somewhat tendencies, can't finish a presentation, you know, can't meet a deadline, can't get to work on time, never have gas in our car, running out of gas on the freeway. You know, those are important things. skills to acquire as we become young adults uh, and also going to help us be to be able to be more effective and you know to have more sphere of influence and power and personal power in the world if we're able to actually manage ourselves all right and then judgment skills so can you make decisions out of integrity and can you be true to yourself rather than be following the following in the influence of others so this is really important as children reach adolescence Um, If they feel capable, valuable, powerful, they develop good interpersonal, intrapersonal, systematic skills and judgment skills. Um, And again, judgment is not about being judgmental. It's about making decisions and integrity. Uh, Then they're less likely to go down a bad, you know, maybe a dangerous or a a risky uh, path and kind of, um, you know, stay stay on the path of um, being true to their values and, and their integrity. So now I want you to think about some of those challenges, you know, that we um, identified in terms of, you know, these perceptions and skills. Uh, So if, if, if children are shutting down, for example, and they're, oh, I just can't do that. I can't tie my shoes. I can't finish my homework. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, that's really a sign that with those perceptions, they don't feel very capable. We call that in the positive discipline, um, assumed inadequacy, right? They're assuming that they're inadequate and then it's easier for them as they go along to just not perform because what happens around them is that people start doing things for them or they start rolling their eyes and getting frustrated because they feel helpless and then they're just encouraging that person to feel like they're not capable. Um, if they're, you know, engaging in power struggles with you, then maybe that perception of power is not being developed. If they're saying, I hate you and, you know, uh, being um, emotionally aggressive or physically aggressive, it could be that they're hurt and they're wounded and they're seeking revenge. 
because they're upset. And, you know, oftentimes if they're just loud and gregarious and constantly interrupting you, they might be looking for attention. Um, and if they're looking for attention on a continuous uh, level, their, val- their sense of value is not being, um, you know, fed. And so we need to recognize that, oh, in everything that we do and how we interact with children and maybe if we're entrepreneurs and we have employees that we're working with, you know, be asking yourself, did that reaction or that response that I gave that person help that person feel capable, valuable, and powerful? Did it feed his interpersonal um, skill development, interpersonal skill development, systematic skill development, and judgment skill development? All right, so I want you to be thinking about that. And now I just want you to also look at yourself. Gosh, how capable, valuable, and powerful do you feel as a parent? How capable, valuable, powerful do you feel in your professional life? So some of us can feel really capable as parents, maybe less capable at work or vice versa. Um, are you feeling valued in your family? Are you feeling valued at work? Are you, do you have enough power in your family? Or are your children running all over you? Um, do you have the same at, at work and maybe in relationships with your friends? And I, I ask you to look at this so that you can start to develop and self-parent and kind of shift your perception of how capable, valuable, and powerful you are by the way you interact with people and setting appropriate boundaries and limits with kindness. We're going to talk about, um, we're actually going to do some exercises with kindness and firmness in the next episode, so you'll understand that a little bit deeper. Um, And I'm asking you to think about this in respect to yourselves, because children do what we do, as I said before, not what we say. So a lot of what's going on here in our work of parents is modeling they're watching us and uh, they're, they're feel, you know, if you're walking around the world feeling very, not very capable and kind of avoiding certain things and, and shutting down and not taking, taking risks to try new things, you know, maybe your, your children are seeing that and not feeling like the world is abundant yet rather scarce. And so they're going to follow in your footsteps. So it's very important that with all of this work that we're doing that we apply it to ourselves and we start to develop these skills within ourselves so that we can actually transformationally pass it on to our children rather than transactionally trying to uh, um, implement skills or you know, to kind of implement skills in a very transactional way. If you start working on, on all of these tools and this philosophy... Um, with yourself in, in the development of your full potential, much more likely to have jo- children who are uh, joyfully kind of following in your footsteps and shifting into places where they, you know, into a world where in their minds and in their beings they feel capable, valuable, and powerful. And that their interpersonal, intrapersonal, systematic skills and judgment skills are being built um, and developed. So if your systematic skills are, are not so great and you don't get things done on time and you're not able to get to work on time and maybe you can never find your keys or whatever, you know, you can be open and honest with your children, especially as they get older and say, oh, this is something that I really need to work on. So I'm going to make myself a chart or I'm going to, you know... Uh, put reminders in my phone, um, whatever you need to do, model that so that they see that, yes, everybody has strengths and everybody has challenges. And we don't need to be ashamed of those. 
yet we do need to embrace them and work on them so that we can be as authentic and as whole as possible. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about the need behind the behavior, because I know this is uh, a piece that all of you have been waiting for. So there are four needs um, behind any behavior that may be triggering you or challenging you uh, or causing you to feel very unpleasant and causing you to actually be reactive. I mean, you know, those those, um, actions that we talked about in our last episode and, and earlier in this episode that, yes, sometimes we bribe, sometimes we take things away, sometimes we punish, sometimes we put children in timeout. And, and those reactive, that, that reactive kind of approach does stop behaviors temporarily. And what we're looking for here is helping children develop that internal locus of control, right? Where they're really making decisions about everything in the world from a deep sense of value and integrity. And obviously this grows over the years, right? Two-year-olds are not going to have this. Um, but if we're constantly responding to the need behind the behavior, then reacting to the behavior, they, they will start to develop that and it'll get stronger as they become older. All right, so I'm going to approach this, these four needs, so that you'll have this information um, by talking first and foremost about your feelings, you as the parent. All right, and again, you can. I'm talking about you as a parent because we're talking about parenting here and you can apply this this these skills to anybody that you work with um, or interact with you know this this can apply to you the relationship you have with your spouse with your colleagues with your friends so on and so forth so if you are feeling annoyed irritated worried or guilty your child is probably seeking attention Okay, so, and also know that your child's feeling all of those things too. That's why they're seeking negative attention because they feel, they feel annoyed or they feel irritated and, because they're not getting the attention that they need. So now you have a little bit more empathy for your um, child because you know how it feels because you're feeling the same way. All right, so what is our, what is our normal kind of go-to when a child's seeking negative attention? Stop it, right? And so we're stopping in our tracks and we're actually giving them that negative attention and no, I mean, negative attention is better than no attention. So they're going to keep um, behaving in that way because it's working. It's giving them some attention. However, they're not getting that need met of feeling valued. Back to the perceptions, they're they're looking for value. So what happens with these negative attention seekers is that when they're being quiet and they're not bothering you, we have a tendency to be like, oh, thank God, mm-hmm. and and just let them be and and keep our distance and. Really what we need to be doing is seeking them out when they're not seeking negative attention and inviting them to help us cook dinner or help us set the table or go on a bike ride or uh, do an art project together. So it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, oh my gosh, that negative attention seeker is always bouncing off the walls and, and ask, you know, bothering me or interrupting me on my phone calls. When they're not um, doing that, that's when you go and give them the attention and fill that bucket of value for them and then guess what the behavior will start to go away and they'll um they'll be on to the next things because this parenting thing never ends all right and then if you're feeling angry provoked challenged threatened or or defeated your child is looking for power you don't give that child enough choice or maybe you're too strict and controlling 
and so that invites power struggles. And so if you're feeling angry, provoked, challenged, threatened, and defeated, so is your child. And we don't want our children to feel that way. That's not our, you know, that's certainly not what we intend as parents, yet it does happen. Uh, so again, our when somebody is, um, when a child is, you know, being aggressive verbally with us and provoking or picking a power struggle, we tend to engage in the power struggle and fight back and stand our ground. And really what we need to do is, you know, kind of sit back and say, oh, I see you're really angry right now. Let's talk about this after dinner. And I want to hear what ideas you have. So the the, the key here is to notice uh, that this child needs a little bit of choice and they need a little bit of control with boundaries, of course. Um, because what's really happening is this child, you know, is not feeling valued either. You know, they're feeling like they're just told what to do all the time and that they don't have a voice and that they belong only when they're the boss or in control. So um, really what they're asking you, what is the coded message behind that? Let me help and give me some choices. You can do family meetings. Um, you can um, have them engage with you in setting up agreements about uh, getting up on time or doing their chores or um, getting their homework done, driving the car, whatever the case may be. All right, if you're feeling hurt, disappointed, disbelieving, and disgusted, it could be very likely that your child is feeling hurt and they're seeking revenge, right? They don't think they belong. So either, right, that sense of value is not being um, met, so they're going to hurt you, right? Uh, They don't feel like they can be liked or loved, um, and if they're going to hurt, they want you to hurt too. And really the coded message is, help me, I'm hurting. So there again, you know, like this is kind of counterintuitive, but when children are screaming, I hate you, or, you know, damaging things in your house or kicking you or, or just behaving and behave, you know, be engaging in behaviors that are mean spirited and bullish. Really what they're saying is help me, I'm hurting. And so we tend to want to either cry or let them know that that's not acceptable. You can't talk to us like this. Or, you know, oftentimes schools will kick the children, you know, no tolerance. They kick the child, the, the child out of the school, but, and, and again, back to what I was saying in our last episode, you know, these children, when they're acting in these ways, already feel bad. And so our punishments make them feel even worse and make them feel even less valued um, than they are already feeling. So the counterintuitive kind of approach is what really works. Oh, I see you're really hurting right now. Can I give you a hug? It's amazing how, you know, a child who is so angry and spitting all of that, you know, information to you is really just is you know, wanting, wanting you to validate their feelings and wanting you to love them. Um, or, you know, you can say, I see you're really angry. You know, I see you're really angry right now. Um, let's talk after dinner. Or, oh, I know when you hurt others, you're hurting yourself. Would you like to talk about that? So really controlling ourselves to not be reactive, but yet responsive so that we're actually meeting that need. Right, they're they're seeking revenge because their values, um, they, they're not feeling valued. And then the last one is what we call assumed inadequacy, and this is when they don't feel capable. Right, they shut down. And what's happening? Uh, how do you feel when you're dealing with somebody in the, in this place? Is you're feeling despair or hopelessness or helplessness and and just inadequate because you can't seem to reach this child and get this child to move past their um, that wall of limitations that they see in front of them. 
So, you know, it's really easy for us to just kind of roll our eyes and want to give up. Um, and then what happens is the child retreats further into that, that place of, ooh, I'm not capable. And so we certainly don't want um, children to feel uh, not capable. And so they are, uh, these are often children that fly under the radar, too, because they are not, not always, well, they're, they're less likely to actually be disruptive children um, in the classroom or in the family. And they don't believe that they can do it, so they'll convince others, convince others not to expect anything from them. They feel helpless and unable. It's no use trying because I won't do it right, is kind of how they feel. However, their coded message and what they really want from you is to have faith in them and don't give up on them. Right? So take time to train them. Take, you know, just expect very small steps and be very patient and be very positive. Uh, take tasks that, that, that they're um, intimidated by or haven't done well and chunk it down into smaller bits so they can be successful and show faith in them, but don't do things for them because every time we do something for a child that they could do themselves, um, we're giving them the message that they're not doing it well enough or they're not doing it fast enough and they're, or they're not as capable as you are, so you're just going to do it yourself. All right. Um, Always we want to encourage, encourage, encourage. Um, And we're going to talk in our next episode about some language tactics, okay? Some ways in which we talk to children that are really going to help children that are seeking attention feel encouraged and empowered. Children who are seeking uh, power to feel encouraged and empowered. Uh, Children who are seeking revenge to feel encouraged and empowered. And children who are shutting down because they don't feel capable to feel encouraged and empowered and then we're going to do some um, activities uh, that all where I will be asking you um, does this make does this help you feel capable valuable and powerful do you feel that um, the way I'm speaking to you right now is helping you develop interpersonal intrapersonal systematic and judgment skills why or why not so it'll be, uh, the next couple sessions will be very experiential and um, hopefully very impactful and very positive uh, for all of you. And take these tools from Tool House and into your lives and into your homes. And let me know how they're working. You can contact me uh, via email, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Edwards, at Toolhouse, T-O-O-L-H-O-W-S dot com. That's Sean Edwards at Toolhouse.com. Or uh, you can even text me, 713-824-0530. And last but not least, take a look at my website, www.toolhouse.com, for upcoming events and trainings and workshops. Uh, and know that I'm um, coaching as well, individual and group coaching, and I have holiday packages available right now as well. So I hope to hear from you soon and hope you enjoyed this session and have a fabulous rest of your Monday.